listening to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette, episode 76. Welcome to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette. That's me, the podcast that's filled with refreshingly honest conversations about the wonderful mess of being human. More than anything, this show is home to honest conversations between real people. We're not trying to sell you anything. We're not trying to get you to fix yourself or get stressed out over stupid life hacks or anything like that. Instead, it's a space to just be real, to take a deep breath and talk about all the behind the scenes stuff that I personally think isn't talked about enough, like our fears, challenges, and insecurities, our secret dreams, how it really feels to try and make changes in your life, what happens when you don't accomplish a goal, and just the day-to-day truths of being human in this crazy world. As your host, it's so much fun for me to sit down with everyone from athletes, writers, and entrepreneurs to parents, coaches of all kinds, world travelers, adventurers, artists, activists, the list goes on and on, and to bring our conversations to you. And fair warning real quick that this is an adult podcast, which means that we often cover adult topics and use adult language. My hope for you as a listener of the show is that it makes you laugh, think, and just feel less alone, because honestly, that's all that I ever want to know that I am not alone. Something else that's fun and unique about this show is that it's 100% community supported. That means no ads, no sponsors, no outside influence, just us here together sharing stories. The show is made possible by listeners like you, awesomely generous people who have pledged $8 or more per eight episode season. To do this, we use a platform called Patreon, and not only does your support keep the show going, but it also earns you access to over 30 hours of exclusive bonus content. The bonus content includes tons of different stuff, everything from conversations with wonderful guests that aren't aired publicly, fun Q&As that I'll happily do for you, and the private community version of the podcast called The Squad Pod, where the guests are you, the members of the community. You'll also have the opportunity to be featured on an upcoming outro. You'll be able to help shape the future of the show. You'll be able to chat with me and other like-minded people on the community's private feed page. And you'll even be able to access my popular weekly email series called Notes of Grit and Grace, which is only available to Patreon supporters. So for all of that, plus more bonus content that's added every month, just go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette. That's patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette. And at the end of this episode, you'll actually get to meet one of our community members who joins me for a quick and hilarious game of Would You Rather and shares what it's like behind the scenes in our Patreon community. So if you believe in this real talk revolution, like I do, and if you're in the position to be able to support the show, I can't tell you how much that would mean to me. So thanks so much for the support. And let's dive right into today's episode. Today, you'll get to meet Hannah Shaw. Hannah is a dedicated animal rescuer and founder of the viral advocacy project Kitten Lady. With over a decade of experience in the animal protection field, Hannah has rescued hundreds of neonatal kittens, directed national advocacy campaigns, and trained dozens of shelters and thousands of individuals about innovative approaches to the protection of felines. Hannah's personal mission is to create a global change in the way we perceive and treat animals, especially the tiniest felines, orphaned kittens. She lives in Washington, D.C. with her two cats, Coco and Eloise, and a revolving door of adorable foster kittens that you absolutely need to see by following her on Instagram. In this episode, Hannah shares stories from behind the scenes of fostering and activism. We talk about how unsexy most of the daily steps are when you're working to create meaningful change in the world, and she tells us the details of how she first got involved in animal activism at a pretty young age. 
We talk a lot about social media, especially how Hannah manages to draw boundaries around her social media use while still delighting her hundreds of thousands of followers. She shares why she dislikes the phrase crazy cat lady, and we talk about gender identity and the necessity of speaking truth to power. Hannah also shares personal stories, like the adorable tale of how she met her partner, Andrew. Of course, it's cat-related. And all throughout each story and topic we cover, Hannah's honesty and introspection is wonderfully refreshing. As I told her at the start of this conversation, she's my absolute favorite person to follow on Instagram, and I hope you love getting to know more about her as much as I did. Awesome. We are good to go. Hannah, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I am, this is my personal like extreme fangirl moment of this season. You are my favorite <laughs> person to follow on Instagram. So <laughs> thank you for that. Oh, thank you. <laughs> That's so funny. That's great. Thanks. Particularly now that, okay, <laughs> now I'm really going to geek out. You know how Instagram just added that feature where you can like bookmark favorite posts? Oh yeah. I accidentally keep bookmarking my own posts, but <laughs> You know. <laughs> okay, so the only two things that are in my bookmark are bookmarks thing screen are the two rap songs that you have done with your kittens. The one about oh, Tidbit and well, the one about five. Little B. What? I have five of them. Wait, what? <laughs> There's five? Yeah, you gotta go find them. <laughs> oh yeah. If you go on the hashtag, I made a hashtag for it so it's easy to find. It's just kitten lady raps. And then you can find the raps on there. It's so funny. I never intended to like become a rapper at all. Uh, but people love them. People are begging me to do another one. So we'll see. Uh, yeah, my husband and I, especially the Halloween one with little B. Oh, I mean, yeah. we literally like wrap it to each other in the house. Like, it's so funny. We had a conversation a couple nights ago of like the weird thing about social media and putting stuff out there publicly is you have no idea kind of how people are consuming it. <laughs> we were joking. It was like, oh, I think we were cooking dinner or something and just something will come up and we just like wrap this little cat song to each other. And uh, <laughs> my husband goes, do you, do you think Hannah has any idea that these two random people in Bend, Oregon are just like wrapping each other her? kitten wraps and I'm like no she probably doesn't but we're definitely not the only I ones I love that yeah I've had a few people say to me like my kids always do your tidbit rap or like they'll just it's so funny like picturing that there are children who are rapping these like silly lines that I come up with I mean the way that that started was because god it would have been like this spring I guess I had a kitten named Finn and Andrew, my boyfriend, had like sent me this silly, we text each other like all day. And he texted me, he's like a total goober, really funny person who is like shameless. And he wrapped this like 30 second rap about how much he loved me <laughs> into the phone and sent it to me. And I thought it was so funny. So I was like, well, I want to send him something back, but I didn't I don't know. I just had Finn in my lap. I was bottle feeding him or something. So I just came up with a quick rap of Finn and I sent it back to him. And then I thought that was pretty funny. Maybe people would appreciate that if I posted. I don't know. I, I It was like a risk. I, it was like, you know, obviously like just dorky stuff you do with your boyfriend that, you know, you don't usually share your inside jokes with hundreds of thousands of people. But I put it out there and people were like, oh my God, it went like viral. It was so funny. So Finn was the first one I did. And then now it's like every single kitten I get, people are like, well, when does that one get a rap? When does, when does Frank get a rap? I'm like, oh gosh, am I going to have to like commit to rapping about kittens for the rest of my life? So we'll see, um, you know, when it comes to me. 
So. I mean, listen, it's a testament to how much that I want to talk to you that I'm not ending this conversation to go find the three raps that I haven't already heard. This is going like, <laughs> to make my husband's day when I get off this. And I'm like, listen, here's what we're going to do yeah. for lunch. There's a hashtag. Oh, my God. All right. So thanks Yeah, for I that. put them on my YouTube also. But I was thinking about making like a compilation of all of them for people to watch. It's just such a silly concept. But um, I don't know. It puts a smile on people's face. So that's what it's all about. That is true. All right. So let's see. Another thing that I absolutely have to ask you before we dive in is about your lipstick because your lipstick game is so strong and amazing. And tell me all your (laughs) secrets basically is what I want to know. Oh my God. Uh, That's so funny. A lot of people say that and I'm like, God, I feel like, I mean, if you could see me right now, I'm in sweatpants and like a raggedy old kitten lady shirt with stains on it. So when I'm at home, you know, caring for kittens, I don't look at at all as done up as I do sometimes, but I do like getting done up and I love makeup. Um, my favorite lipsticks are the Kat Von D line. I mean, it's just such a good line. Her stuff is so pigmented. Um, and she makes this one, I don't know what it's called, but it's like a, it like goes on as a liquid, but then it like dries, it's matte. And that is my favorite one. I have like tons of that one. And it's cool because it's all vegan. Kat Von D is like a huge um, activist for animals. So I like being able to support her company, um, while also getting to wear, you know, these like amazing bold colors that she makes. So I get them at like Sephora. Um, I usually buy everything on Amazon, like everything. Uh, but it's a little more expensive if you buy those on Amazon. So you do have to like physically go into the store in Sephora, but that's my favorite lipstick by far. Okay. Yeah, I think my my 2017 goals, for some reason, lipstick has just never been something that I feel like I'm really good at and able to pull mm. off or it's like too shiny. And that's what I like that yours is like this nice matte, like really bold popping color. So yeah, wearing um, lipstick like a grown up and being worse at email, meaning like not obsessively being on email are like my 2017 goals. So. That's awesome. Yeah, detaching from like, honestly, detaching from computers is a goal of mine this year. Also, I did a crazy thing yesterday, which is that I ordered an alarm clock, like, (laughs) like a a bedside alarm clock, uh, because one of my goals for 2017 is to not be so attached to my phone all the time. And I feel like phones, like we use them for everything now. So I wake up in the middle of the night to feed kittens, um, like a couple times a night, uh, and my alarm's usually on my phone. And so, you know, if I'm even just turning off my phone, I'll be tempted to like go on there and see like what's going on on Facebook or Instagram. And it's like, oh my God, detaching from technology is going to be a thing that we have to get really good at being intentional about, I think, as we like move towards the future where like that's just becoming more and more part of our our lives. So that's a big goal for me too this year. Um, So I just bought like a alarm clock to keep next to my bed so that I don't have my phone in my room at night anymore. Yeah, it's so funny you mentioned the alarm clock thing that that was for me a couple of years ago when I kind of my goal was to stop having social media be the first thing that I look at in the morning, right? Where like yeah, your alarm exactly. goes off on your phone and you grab your phone and you're like, nah, scroll through all the things. And my, it's so funny, the stories that we tell ourselves, because my excuse was always, well, but it's my alarm. So it has to be here. And I was like, uh, yep. they sell alarm clocks for like $5. Nicole, like you have $5, yep. go buy an alarm clock. <laughs> it's like the things that's that we exactly use. That's exactly it. Oh man. Um, yeah. But- so that's, that's what I did this week. And I'm, I'm, it hasn't gotten here yet. Cause again, I buy everything on Amazon. So It'll be here soon, but I'm excited because 
because I do that. And I don't just do that when I'm falling asleep or when I wake up, but even in the middle of the night. So like I wake up at 5 a.m., feed some babies, go back to my room, you know, get on my phone to make sure that my next alarm is set. And then I'm like, the next thing I know, I'm like sitting there like reading Instagram comments and I'm like, it's five in the morning. I'm tired. Like, what am I doing? You know, it just can't be good to consume that much technology. And for someone like me, who's like, you know, like all of my engagement with my project is on social media. uh, You know, I think someone like me has to be even more intentional about kind of like taking a step back from that sometimes and living in the real world around us. Yeah, that was something that I was definitely curious about asking you. I mean, like I said, kind of at the top of this, that you're my favorite person to follow on Instagram, but always in the back of my mind with that kind of stuff is like, when you do a project or you have like your work is something that you're so passionate about and so committed to. And the main channel of sharing that with people and spreading the message is through social media and through the internet. How do you draw boundaries? Like, do you have kind of specific rules for yourself of stuff you will and won't share times you will and won't check types of comments that you just won't engage with like that type of thing yeah it's kind of a work in progress honestly because I'm you know I've been doing the social media component of what I do for only like maybe two years um but I've been doing the work for a decade but I've been sharing on social media for two years so it's it has blown up so quickly and I'm only just starting to see you know, the good, the bad and the ugly of what's out there on the internet um and it can be yeah it can be there's a lot. I mean, there's people have an expectation that they'll be able to access me in a way that, um, is a, is a challenge to me, honestly. So one thing is, you know, like the DMS in your, uh, instant mess or your Instagram mailbox. Right. So for me, I get, I can see direct messages from people who I follow. Um, but then there's all these message requests that are from people who I don't know. And if I go in that box, there's literally a hundred messages a day and, you know, maybe 10% of them are people saying, Hey, can you like post this thing for me? And another 20% is, you know, people just saying, Hey, I really love you. Like, I just wanted to tell you that I love your project, which is awesome. Um, but a high percentage of it is people who are either sending me like a really upsetting picture. Uh, it could be like people who are being mean, like sending me pictures of like cats that have been tortured or people who are sending me pictures, sometimes, you know, well-meaning, but people who are sending me a picture of, you know, a kitten that is suffering that they're trying to help. Uh, but I'm not in a position where I can help them because maybe they're in another country, uh, or there's nothing that I can personally do other than give advice. But, you know, so I actually, one thing that I did many months ago was I stopped checking my DMs because it was too much. I can't, you know, I cannot answer a hundred messages a day. And the whole point of my project is to create resources so that, you know, the maximum number of people can access the information that they need. So what I see is, you know, if I'm getting a lot of DMs or a lot of comments of people all needing the same thing, then that just means I need to create a video about that or create a page about that or make a post about that. Like just to give people the resources that they're seeking, not just not necessarily one-on-one. So yeah, the DMs thing, I definitely, you know, and people get upset about it. I sent you a DM. I'm like, yeah, what do you think? I have a hundred a day. <laughs> like that's not, I mean, that's just not realistic for me. So that being able to say, you know, sorry, I don't answer those definitely helps me detach. Um, 
and be able to focus on what matters, which is creating resources that are publicly available. Um, you know, some things like I don't get a ton of like kind of bully types on there, but, but every once in a while I'll get like a really nasty comment. Um, and you know, I'm like, it's interesting cause I'm all about people speaking their minds, but it's also, you know, it's my, it's my platform that I've created to be like a really fun community of people who a lot of us know each other and I don't really want like yucky stuff on my page. So, you know, if someone writes something really awful, then I'll usually, you know, just remove them from the page altogether. Um, and that's, you know, I think different profiles handle it differently. Just to me, it's like reducing any kind of negativity from my life is really important. Um, so, you know, it's, it's interesting because when you have like hundreds of thousands of people looking at you, for me, I noticed, you know, the majority of them are really, really happy to be involved in it, but there's always going to be one like seventh grade boy who has something gross to say, (laughs) you know, um, even on my YouTube videos, it's so funny because I'll do a video that's like just the most innocuous thing you can imagine. It'll be like, you know, how to, how to brush your kitten with a toothbrush so that they can learn to groom themselves, you know, and it'll get like 2000 thumbs up on YouTube and then it'll get like one or two thumbs down. And I'm like, who's thumbs downing a kitten getting brushed with a toothbrush? <laughs> but you know, the internet's full of just like life. I mean, life is full of different kinds of people. You're going to engage with some amazing people in life. And then there's going to be some people who, you know, you don't want to be around and same thing with the internet. So it's, um, yeah, it's definitely vulnerable to put yourself out there in the way that I have. I don't think I necessarily even realized how vulnerable I was making myself when I started doing it, but you know, I don't regret it. I just think, yeah, you do have to have boundaries, um, with, you know, what you're willing to accept yeah. and not accept. Definitely. Um, yeah. And I just think like in life, I agree with what you said that it's kind of always a work in progress and I'm always really interested in having kind of honest conversations about this topics. I mean, I think it's anytime you're doing something publicly that's close to your heart, right? Like, of course you care what people think and it's totally. something that's kind of come up for me. I, you know, sort of jokingly said that one of my goals is to be worse at email, but I recently, I don't know, like two days ago, rewrote my contact page that actually like speaks to that and, you know, to kind of like set expectations for, I love receiving notes. Like if you have something that you want to say, but I'm not always going to be able to get back to you like that type of thing. And for right. me, I had this realization that I'm in kind of this transitional period with social media that's similar to I remember two periods of time in my life. One, when I quit drinking, I was so afraid of no longer being known as like the fun girl. Like that was really important Mm. to me. And then the period of time in my life when I decided to like stop having like empty, self-destructive sexual situations. And I was like, oh, it's fine for me to not try to be the cool girl who's down with everything. And now it's like, I feel like I'm in this evolution with social media where I'm like, okay, I don't need to be the one who's so available and so accessible and will always respond like, I'm, I'm a good person. I mean, well, but like, I can't, I can't do that. And that has to be okay. It's like a little bit of a change of identity. Like I didn't realize how much it mattered to me to be the one who's like not too busy and important to respond to an email, you know, girl, I get that so much. I really understand that. Cause I feel like I, I can relate a lot. Um, you know, just in a social media sense, like the, the reason that my social media has exploded in the way that it has, I think a lot of people are how did you do that? How did you do that? I'm like, well, cause it's curated. It's honestly like, it's, it's a craft. It's kind of a silly craft to be like 
you know, I'm sitting here curating a page, but I mean, it's marketing, it's curating, um, it's marketing compassion, but, um, what I'm doing is, 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 uh, a very intentional thing. And so, you know, it's hard for me because I've always, my identity has always been, um, you know, trying to help as many people as possible. And <clears throat> one thing that I've gotten recently is a lot of people asking me, can you help me? Can you just cross post these cats? Like I got one from a friend of a friend the other day that was like, I took these two senior cats in and if you posted them, you could probably find them a home for me. And I was like, gosh, you know, I probably could. Um, but I get messages like that every single day. And if I, I said yes to every single person, no one would follow what I do, you know, because it's curated. So it's hard. It's really hard to set those types of boundaries where like, I have to consider like kind of the greater aspiration of my project and maybe not be able to do the things that, that I would like to be able to do, you know, cause I want to be like, I want to be a person who's helping as many people as possible, but being able to be like a little bit more strategic about like, how is that going to be sustainable for you? Um, you know, I don't know. It's hard. I'm like a bleeding heart, at the, you know, when it comes down to it. And I think a lot of people, in animal welfare are. Um, but I think one thing for me has had, has been that I've had to shift out of just thinking out of like emotion and wanting to be like, just so available and like such a, um, like works from such a place of emotion and wanting to share and becoming a little bit more strategic, you know, because there's, there's so many, there's only so many hours in the day and there's only so many things I can achieve. And, um, I don't know, it's, it is a, an identity shift for me in that kind of way where, you know, definitely. I, to- well, I mean, I, and I love what you said about focusing on kind of the larger purpose and like kind of the long game of your project, like in any, for anyone, right. Whether it's their, you know, nine to five job they go to, whether it's a passion project, whether it's, you know, advocacy, any of those types of things like there, I think there has to be a moment where probably a lot of moments where you have the honest conversation with yourself about like, what is the most impactful thing that I can do? Like, where should I be putting my time? Right. That like, for me, when I look at Uh, podcasts, right. If the best thing that I can do, that's going to serve the most people is to have, you know, the best open, honest conversations with wonderful people that I can. Right. Okay. Well that requires a lot of preparation on my part. It requires pitching people. It requires, okay, and none of that is like mindlessly scrolling through like Twitter for three hours, right? So it's like right. anything that I have to set boundaries and like pull away from maybe the one-on-one interaction like serves the larger thing. And I mean, it's hard to make those decisions, but anyway, I mean, neither of us have any magic solutions. It's just, I think, important to talk about, you know? Yeah, totally, totally. So something else that I would love to hear about from you, um, you were the first person that I heard kind of talk against the crazy cat lady archetype, like cultural stereotype, the feminization of cat lovers. And I don't know, I just found Mm. that perspective really interesting. I'd love for you to share that a little. Yeah, thank you. Um, I mean, so for me, and I can give you a lot of background on myself and kind of my school of thought, but you know, I am a feminist, um, through and through, uh, you know, and I, I actually went to school for women's studies. Um, and I used to do, uh, I used to do work with an organization called Girls Rock, which I'm still super passionate about an incredible project. If anybody is looking for a great program for kids, um, it's called Girls Rock. It's in a lot of cities, but I used to work for, for them in North Carolina. And one of the things that I developed for them, them was this workshop about gender identity and kind of like the 
binaries around gender that we arbitrarily uh, assign. So, uh, you know, for instance, just like the easiest thing is like pink is for girls, blue is for boys, like totally arbitrary, right? Um, So I used to do these workshops with this summer camp that Girls Rock held um, about the gender binary and kind of helping kids work through, okay, you know, where did we learn that unicorns are for girls? Like, where did we learn that Star that Star Wars is for boys? Do any of the girls in this room like Star Wars? Okay, yes. So then, you know, why do we assign that to boys? And kind of looking at, like, the ways that pop culture and our own families um, and, you know, just kind of, like, that our culture assigns uh, a gender to different products or interests or jobs or colors. Um, and, you know, the the conclusion of all of that is that that's a very limiting thing for both boys and girls, right? Because uh, it it stops a child who's, you know, and like so easily influenced by the world around them. It stops them from being able to develop their interests, right? Because there's so much shame in in liking something that's not in your box, right? Like you're not supposed to like, um, you know, and I definitely grew up, I think, being limited because of my gender, because there were lots of things that I probably would have been interested in, but that I didn't feel like were available to me. And I think like that's one major way that, uh, the, you know, the cat lady and not even putting in the crazy part, but just the cat lady stereotype, um, it damages not only, uh, women and men and boys who, you know, feel like they, it's not cool to like cats if you're a boy, but it also hurts cats because at the end of the day, you know, we have over a million cats being euthanized in the United States alone every year and they need people to be saving them. And if we're teaching, you know, half of the population that it's not cool for them to like cats, then that's a problem, you know, cause they're not going to go adopt. They're definitely not going to get involved in rescue Um, so I am a big fan of anything that kind of like undermines the stereotype that it's like not, uh, not that it's not manly, but that there's anything to do with gender involving cats. It's just not a gendered thing. A cat is, you know, another species. (laughs) It doesn't have anything to do, like being a man or a woman doesn't have anything to do with whether or not you should be interested in, uh, you know, being around them. And it, you know, I think there's a lot of really cool, um, progress being made, especially with social media in terms of like men getting involved and saying like, Hey, like I'm a cat man. And I know some fantastic men who are involved in that movement. Um, with regard to the crazy portion of crazy cat lady, I think that is like maybe even more damaging because who wants to be involved in something that makes you crazy? I don't know. Like I I know some people have tried to kind of take that word back and say like, I'm proud to be a crazy cat lady. Um, and that's okay. Like if that's an identity people like, then that's great to me. Like I don't identify as crazy. I don't think there's anything crazy about what I do. Um, I don't think there's anything crazy about like being involved in, uh, justice for animals. Um, it's actually a really measured and strategic thing that myself and other advocates are doing where we're, you know, especially someone who's doing work on a national scale, you know, we're like breaking down data and trying to understand, you know, how can we, uh, you know, how can we get our shelter system in the United States to no kill? How can we achieve more balance, you know, in outdoor 
cat populations? How can we, um, you know, for me, I'm always looking at like, how can we educate the most people about like the most vulnerable populations like orphan kittens? And, you know, how do we get people involved in that? What are the resources we need? That's not crazy at all. That's like, that's right. social justice work, right. yeah. you know? Um, so to me, I'm like, it's offensive. Like, why would I be like, oh yeah. And I'm nuts. Like, I'm not nuts. I'm waking up every day. We're working my ass off trying to solve like a very complex problem. And it has nothing to do with my gender. It has nothing to do with me being a crazy person. It just has to do with, you know, for me, it's always been, I like the underdog, you know, I like trying to stick up for the little guy. And that's why, you know, I've been involved in a lot of social justice work, not just with animals, um, but certainly with, you know, women's issues and a lot of stuff with young girls. Um, and, you know, but when it comes to animals, like I have just found that orphan kittens are one of the most vulnerable, complex and misunderstood populations. And so that's who I've decided to focus on. But I don't know, to me, there's nothing crazy or gendered about it. Um, so, you know, I, I think if people want to identify in that way, that that's fine. I definitely am not saying like, you know, we should totally throw that out. I just think uh, it's a conversation to be had, you know, because when that's what kids grow up seeing is the lady on the Simpsons or, you know, they see that there's like costumes people do every year of like, you know, bathrobe with like stuffed animal cats all over it and messy hair. It's like, well, who would want to grow up to be that? That's not an aspiration, you know? Um, the other thing is, I don't think that that like gives a realistic perspective for people about what they can be as a cat advocate. So a lot of people say to me, like, I can never do what you do because I'd have 30 cats. And it's like, well, where did they get that idea? They got that idea from pop culture. Yes. That like, if you're involved with cats, you will become crazy. It's like, well, who taught you that? Like, that's a very strange thing to me. If you remove yourself from, like, from pop culture and from all of the kind of pre- conceived notions you have based on those stereotypes, why would being involved in something mean that you won't be able to, like, you're going to become so unhinged that you can't, you know, it's not like a cigarette where it's like, if I smoke one, I'll go buy a whole carton, <laughs> you know, uh, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a justice thing. It's you're getting involved in rescuing cat. That doesn't mean, okay, now I'm never going to be able to stop. And Hey man, if you're not able to stop doing anything, whether it's like drinking drugs, putting new cats in your home, then like that's, that's an issue for you to take up with. That's a personal, that's a separate issue. That's a personal issue. That's not, yeah. And that's, and you know, that's something to be explored. I know tons of people who have gotten involved in cat rescue and have taken it too far because they didn't have healthy boundaries, but that doesn't mean that that's how it has to be. So I think, yeah, I mean, that's my long winded answer to the crazy cat lady conundrum is just that, you know, there is, there are other models of doing this. I am a person who tries to be very balanced. And, um, you know, I know you said that you stopped drinking and stuff. I'm also sober. Um, you know, I come from a, a family and a background where that's the best thing for me. And so like, you know, everything in my life, I strive for balance and not going overboard with things, you know? And so I, to me, I like being able to be a model of that, that like, Hey, you can do this and not go crazy. Your house doesn't have to be gross. You don't have to smell bad. Right. Like, right. You no. can be, you can like 
wear cute lipstick and like save, you know, dozens of lives a year or even save one life a year, you know, and, and it could be cool. Like it's a cool thing. And so, I don't know, that's a, that's like a cool unexpected thing of my project is that a lot of people have said to me, like, I didn't think I could be involved in this, but you have made it seem fun and cool. And, you know, we need role models, you know, we need, and, and crazy cat lady is not a good role model. Yeah, I mean, I agree. um, I feel like it all goes back to that idea that, I mean, in lots of different contexts, representation matters so much that this, if, if it's funny, because I definitely see people kind of rebranding the crazy cat lady thing. And personally, I've always been fine with it, right? Like, I think it's cute and funny. I don't take offense to it. But hearing your perspective on it really made me think not just about this issue, but in a larger context, how kind of cliches and stereotypes actually can have really damaging impacts, right? Like, you wouldn't think that the idea of a crazy cat lady might potentially have a negative impact on saving the lives of cats. But the way you describe it and hearing you talk about it, I don't know, it makes so much sense to me. And this idea, like you said, of people who might think, oh, I would love to do what you do, but, you know, I can't foster because I'd keep every single one and I'd wind up with 50 cats. And even some of what I've seen happen in the comments of your posts, people that almost seem to express like, I don't know if outrage is too strong of a word, but disappointment about, you know, when you raise these babies and then you adopt them out, you don't keep them, right? That people like that, I don't know your idea of, or the kind of concept that goodbye is the goal, like adopting them out is the goal. I think that's really powerful. Thank you. Yeah. That's a little phrase that I came up with. Goodbye is the goal because trying to help people understand that like you can save lives and celebrate it. It doesn't have to be this like so fraught with emotion and like, oh God, I could never give you up. You know, I made a post last night about a kitten that I'm raising right now named Harissa. And I don't remember exactly the phrase, but it said something like, um, you know, I, I may not know you for a long time, but I'm happy to know you while I do, you know, and I'm trying to just help people like, just give them some of those types of like little things to sit on and marinate on that like, it's okay. Like it's okay to not be like, Oh, I I have to keep you, you know, like that's such a, it's such an odd thing if you really think about it. But like, if you love someone, you must have them. Like I must have you. I must own you. Like what? That's not what cats need. That's not certainly not what orphan kittens need. They need eight weeks of care and that's all they need for me. They don't need me to adopt them. Um, so, you know, I think, I don't know. It's so interesting because obviously animal advocacy and even just, you know, people who are animal lovers, like that's, uh, people are very emotional about animals and they love this. They love a good story. Right. And they love, you know, a forever home. And that's what I'm giving, giving to these animals. But people, yeah, people do get very upset about, um, you know, Oh, you should keep that one. You should keep that that one. I'm like, girl, if I kept every single kitten I've ever raised, do you know how many hundreds of animals I would have in my home? You wouldn't be able to do this work anymore. You would not be asking me what color lipstick I wear if I had 300 cats (laughs) in my home. Right? Like, that would not be a good situation for those cats. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying, though, is that like, you know, there's a, like I was saying before about other stuff that like, there's, there's the emotion that goes into something. And then there's the kind of like, 
stepping back and being strategic and setting boundaries and saying like, okay, like what can I realistically achieve? What's, what's the right boundary for me? And so for me, I've set not only boundaries with like how I do my social media, but also how many animals I'll do at a time, like how many animals I'll take in at a time. Cause I have definitely overdone it in the past where I've worn myself out and I don't even like it anymore. You know, if I'm not happy, then I can't run a good project. I certainly can't, you know, be as good for the individual animals if I'm not happy and doing well. Um, but I also can't convince anybody else that this is fun if I'm running myself ragged, you know? Um, so yeah, so I mean, setting boundaries is so important. I, you know, I, I take small breaks in between litters of kittens that I save. I encourage people to do the same. Um, you know, I mean, balance is so key to all things in life. Yeah. Right. Easier said than done, but I hear you. Right. Um, yes. So I would love for you to tell me the story of your first experience with activism, whether it was animal related or like, were you, is this how you were raised? It sounds like you've been doing stuff in this vein for a really long time. Yeah. Um, oh my God, it goes pretty far back actually. Let me think about how to, well, so I grew up in New York. Um, and I didn't grow up with pets, really. Uh, I did have a couple cats and, uh, you know, we would have them for like a year or less, which is really sad um, to know, you know, those animals probably went to the shelter and were euthanized, you know, just not, not the best judgment on the part of my family. Um, but I didn't grow up with like forever animals. I loved animals as a kid. Um, I was obsessed with like pigeons and squirrels because I grew up in Manhattan and that was all I could ever see. Um, and feral cats. Um, but it wasn't until I was 12 years old, uh, that I started being vegetarian. This was not the influence of my family at, at all. This was, um, actually I had gone to a summer camp where I met this girl and she had a VHS tape that was like a campaign video from PETA about, what happens, uh, in McDonald's factory farming. And, um, man, I, I, this is an old video cause I, this would have been 17 years ago. Um, but I saw that and she was like, you know, I don't eat meat. And this camp actually, like it was a, it was a camp that was for people from all over the world to attend. So they had a very simple diet um, that could accommodate people from all cultures. So it actually was a vegetarian camp. So I spent the whole summer at this like vegetarian camp uh, and then saw this video. And I came back and I was like, you know what? I just don't want to eat meat anymore. Um, my family was like, yeah, right. Like, we'll see how long this lasts. So jokes on them. But um, it was a few years after that that I got actually like very heavily involved in activism. Uh, so when I was 15, I... Uh, I, you know, I was all proud of being vegetarian. I went to this like hardcore show and they, PETA had a table at the show and I marched up to it and was like, Hey, I'm vegetarian. And I thought they were going to be so proud of me. And they were like, cool. Have you thought about being vegan? And I was like, what? <laughs> like, what's that? I didn't even know I was 15. Um, and they gave me this, this piece of paper. I think it said on it, like 50 reasons to be vegan or something. And it explained all of this stuff that, you know, as a young kid, I didn't know. Like, I assumed very ignorantly that, that you know, that animals, if you're eating their meat, they must have been killed for that. But that if you're eating their eggs, they must have, like, a nice life on a farm, right? Which is very far from the truth. I actually, you know, I don't get on a high horse about this stuff. I don't talk about veganism a lot on my profile, but I do feel very strongly about it. And I, you know, 
in my life uh, and my activism. Like I actually believe that dairy and eggs are uh, kind of even more reprehensible than, than the meat industry, just in terms of the industry standards and the way the animals are treated. So once I learned about that, I was like, Oh boy, here I am thinking I'm doing like a great job and I don't know nothing. So I, I put the pamphlet down and I said, well, I guess I'm vegan now. And that was 14 years ago. Um, so it took maybe a couple years of being like a teenager who had no idea what I was doing. I didn't have any friends that were vegan. So I was like scoping out the internet, like, what can I eat? And just eating like pasta with tomato sauce, like every night. Um, but that was 14 years ago. Now I'm so fortunate that like, I mean, first of all, vegan food is like easier to find than ever. Um, especially if you live in like a city. Um, so there, you know, I, I don't have an issue with it at all anymore. Um, but you know, that I've also got like a great community of people. Most of the friends that I have are vegan. So, um, you know, so that was kind of how I came to that. Um, in terms of actual activism, once I found out about, you know, kind of what happens in factory farms, that was my intro to wanting to be loud for animals, like wanting to speak up for them because I felt so lied to about, you know, I, I just felt like, you know, the, the, the things that I grew up eating that I had been totally misled to think that it was like this fine and dandy thing that it was not. Um, and I felt really passionate about educating people about that. So, you know, in the beginning I would like order pamphlets online that I could pass out and I would go just by myself <laughs> as like a 15 year old uh, to shows or to even restaurants and pass out leaflets. And that was kind of how I, that actually, I haven't thought about this, but that's probably how I started becoming uh, a good communicator of issues is that I would just talk to people and say like, Hey, you know, did you know that, you know, X, Y, Z, whatever the issue is. Um, from there, I got really involved in uh, like anti-circus activism. So, um, you know, circuses, obviously anybody who cares about animals should know that they are, are just horrifying places for animals and they beat animals into submission. And it's, um, you know, it's an ugly thing. And I grew up going to the circus. I grew up going to the Big Apple Circus in New York. Um, so I got really involved in that. And when I, when I went to college, um, I went to George Mason University and we actually had um, like a big venue that would host Ringling every year. So I got really involved in that. Like I kind of um, ran our college's efforts against having the circus there. Um, so I was out there like every single day with signs and, um, you know, like on a megaphone telling people what's going on behind the scenes there. Um, and that was how I actually got involved doing my first internship was I, I um, when I was there and getting my first um, job in animal welfare was actually with PETA um, because they saw the work that I was doing there. And I ended up going and interning and then um, doing some contract work for them shortly after college. So that was actually my first intro to, um, you know, working really in animal welfare. So um, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. It's- yeah, no, I mean, that's, it's super interesting. I'm personally like an obsession of mine is 
the question of how do we close the gap between what we say we want and what we actually do. And that could be in any facet of our lives, right? Like if someone says they want to exercise, but then doesn't, right? Like what's that gap about? But I think that it Mm. also becomes really relevant when you talk about any kind of activism or volunteerism or doing like, I think there's so many people, I mean, for sure myself included that like, I feel like I care about some things, right. Or like, I feel passionate about it, but it's sort of this like short lived thing that then kind of turns just into like, it goes from outrage to apathy or like that there's, yeah. so I guess I'm curious cause it's since obviously you've been doing this from a young age, what do you think it is about you that you so quickly close that gap that you're taking action and like really I don't know, putting yourself out there. Mm. Um, I don't know. I'm a loud mouth <laughs> and <laughs> I've always been a very, uh, like anti-authoritarian type. I've always been, I mean, from a young age, I was actually expelled in third grade, um, for quote Wait, unquote being, that's yeah. amazing. Okay. Tell me that story. What? <laughs> well, for, I don't actually know exactly why I can guess. Um, but my mom told me at the time it was for being too creative. Um, (laughs) but I think that it really was that I went to an all girls Catholic school, which is probably not the right fit for someone with my, uh, I don't know, my like worldview and my mouth. I just didn't fit in there. You know, um, I think, I think what she's told me as an, as an adult is that I was inciting riots, which is, I can't imagine what kind of a riot an eight year old would incite, but, um, but, um, you know, but I've always had that fire in me for like, like speaking truth to power, I think. Um, and that is, I don't know, it it can be a good thing and it could be a bad thing. Right. Um, but, uh, I definitely have that fire in me. That's not something that I can change about myself. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think speaking truth to power is like such an important thing to me that I've, you know, been doing for my whole life. I will tell you to close up that story. Um, my thing, my mom always loves to tell people is that at the end of getting expelled from that school, I took all of my uniforms, which are these like little jumpers. Uh, we wore like a white collared shirt with like a light blue jumper over it. And she says, I took like a thick Sharpie and wrote all over my jumpers. Um, I am not a robot. (laughs) (laughs) So I like defaced these jumpers and was like, I'm done with you. So that'll give you a sense of who I was at eight years old. Um, (laughs) but (laughs) yeah, I mean, I think, um, yeah. So personally, I'm definitely, I have a hard time not speaking up when I see, something going on that I don't like. Um, and that probably helped me become like an activist from a young age. Uh, but I think also it's, you know, I, I, I can't, I can't speak enough about the importance of community is the other piece of it is just having people in your life who are like role models for you of how to be doing the work. So I know a lot of people, People are like, I wish I could help animals, but I don't know how, like, I don't know how to start. Right. And I've been lucky that I've, I've surrounded myself with people who are, uh, whether it's volunteer or professional. I mean, most of a good, a good percentage of my friends are full-time animal advocates working for, you know, big nonprofits. Um, and so I've been able to kind of like watch other people be strategic and kind of go like, huh, okay. 
like, what can I do or how can I uh, learn something from this person and apply it to another thing? So I think having, yeah, having a fire in your gut, having um, community that you can either engage with or that you can learn from. Um, and I think, yeah, if you're, if you're a person who feels passionate about something, but you don't really know where to put it. Yeah. That could be, that could be a really frustrating thing. Um, that's why I try to help people in my project know where to find, like, where can you find other people? Um, how can you start doing this work yourself? I created a link a few months ago. Um, that's just kittenlady.org slash getting started. And that whole link is like, just like, and it, and it seems really, really simplified, but I tried to make it super easy for people so that it literally takes you from like step one of like, I want to help kittens. Okay. Step two, what do you do? Like go on Google and type in the name of your city and animal shelter, find their website, like go on their website. Like here's how step-by-step you get involved with volunteering in your local community. Cause I think a lot of people just don't, I don't know, like they don't know how to start or they're scared to start. Um, but I have to say one of the coolest things that comes from being able to like read comments, um, of people who are, you know, out there in the world consuming what I'm putting out there is that a lot of people comment like daily saying, I started volunteering because of you, or Mm -hmm. I'll get emails of pictures of kittens where people are like, I saved these kittens and I wouldn't have done it if I hadn't, or, or not even just people who are saving kittens, but people who have said to me that they've like found purpose because of this. And that's so freaking cool. Cause like, you know, saving lives is awesome, but like finding purpose, that's like, that's awesome. And if anything I do helps somebody find, you know, a reason to wake up every day that, I mean, it's just awesome. It's just an awesome, awesome. Yeah, I'm going to put a link. I mean, I'll put a bunch of links in the show notes, but specifically to that getting started page, because one of the things that struck me when I was going through that was like how when I was talking before about that gap between, you know, we say we want X thing, but then like actually making it a reality. I think a large part of that gap has to do with, you know, people feel fired up or they feel inspired. Like there's no lack of essentially like inspiration porn on the Internet, right? Like there's so much inspiration. And but it's those actual tangible action steps, which sometimes might even feel so small and silly to spell out, but that are actually incredibly helpful for people, right? Like it might seem like an obvious thing to Google like your city and animal shelter or whatever, but maybe someone wouldn't think of that. Maybe they wouldn't just, and so like having, I don't know, so not just anyone who's listening who's interested, like can of course check that out, but anyone who's listening who is passionate about something and wants and, you know, often gets the questions from others, how do I do what you do? Like creating some kind of resource that really is those like baby steps that once you get good at something or once you get really deep into something you forget what it was like to be a true beginner you know totally totally and so I feel like so much of your work is so beginner friendly right like here's you know even the videos right like here's how you come the the five ways to comfort the kitten like just like the simple simple things you know that I don't know someone maybe wouldn't get elsewhere but that it once you have a good grasp of like the basics of something it's so much easier to do impactful work yeah thank you I I try to stay mindful of that because cause I literally take care of kittens all day, every day. And when I'm not taking care of kittens, I'm at a shelter teaching a workshop or I'm writing an article about it. Like I'm so immersed in it that I, that I sometimes forget 
you know, oh, people don't know like the, just like the very, very basic stuff. Um, so I try to make it really, really beginner friendly. And I know like there are, like, I'm not the first person to put resources on the internet about kittens, but a lot of the ones that I've found, um, they can be intimidating for people, you know, because these are really vulnerable animals. These are really small, fragile animals that people are really scared to, um, be caring for. And, um, you know, the way things are presented sometimes can seem like a barrier for people. Like they're not going to be able to do it, you know? So Mm -hmm. I just try to like create everything that I do in the spirit of like, you absolutely can do this. Yes. You need to learn some stuff, but like, let's break it down to like the easiest steps so that you feel empowered to be able to do it. So that's why like, even like I just put out a syringe feeding video this week and in it, I literally am like, follow the instructions on it. This one says two parts water, one part powder. Here's how I do that. And then I show like scooping the powder, scooping the water, just so that people, cause it can feel, I think overwhelming to people. And if they're sitting there trying to do it and, and it's their first time doing it, it could be comforting to be able to like actually visually see somebody, um, doing exactly what it is that you're doing. So that is kind of what I try to create for people. But so will you give us kind of a, a breakdown of a day in the life? Like, cause like you said, like people can look on Instagram and be like, Oh my God, adorable kittens, right? Like just cuddle kittens all day long. But I'm so curious <laughs> on like the day to day. So right now you have five kittens, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, um, I mean, the thing is no two days are alike for me, mm-hmm. but I can give you, I'll tell you what my day is today. If yeah. That helps. Go for it. Sure. Um, so let's see. So my kittens are weaning right now. So that means that they are um, eating a bottle, but also learning how to eat wet food. So um, I only woke up once in the middle of the night. I woke up at, I think, five to feed them. Um, and then I went back to sleep and then I woke up at nine. Um, and then what did I do today? I had to go to the post office. So I go to the post office a lot uh, because fortunately, people buy merchandise for me, which is awesome. And I fulfill it out of my house. Um, so I don't know if people think that uh, they're like ordering a t-shirt from like a factory company or something. Like when they order it, I'm pulling it off of a shelf and taking it to the post office. Um, so I go to the post office many times a week. So this morning I went, dropped off merchandise sales. I also um, have booklets that I send to shelters for free if they request them, um, on their booklets about how to take care of an orphan. So I also package those up, bring those to the post office. That was the first thing I did this morning. Um, then I came back and I had a meeting with, um, the local shelter here, uh, who just changed their name to Humane Rescue Alliance. I keep saying the old name. It was Washington Humane Society, but their Humane Rescue Alliance is the DC shelter. And they asked me to help them with a um, really cool event they're doing later uh, this month that is a, it's called Designs for Felines. And basically all the architecture firms get together in DC and they all uh, design feral cat houses, like really crazy architecture on these like (laughs) cat houses. That's awesome. Um, So they asked me if, yeah, so they asked me if I would be a judge there this year, which is really cool. So I had a meeting with them about that. and then I had another phone call that was a like feral cat related phone call for some TNR stuff that I'm doing here. Um, 
answered a bunch of emails. I talked to Venus, the two-faced cat's mom on the phone for a little while. Um, uh, while I'm like, all the while, while I'm like cleaning the room and, and, you know, getting the kittens ready for everything they need, hand feeding them while I was on the phone with her. Um, and just kind of like, uh, I do a lot of sitting at my computer and planning and writing. Um, so I do, what else did I do today? I'm like routing, uh, my shelter workshops for the year. So figuring out where I'm going to go, where I'm going to speak. Um, I have, uh, some really exciting uh, partnership stuff going on where uh, there is a company, Pet Ag, that makes, um, they make the kitten milk replacer, which is like the most widely available kitten milk um, on the market. And I, you know, I've been using it since I started doing this like almost a decade ago. Um, they are sponsoring a series of workshops for me to be able to go to shelters and help them create kitten programs and actually bring um, like a huge supply of their formula to the shelter, which is expensive and, and is often why shelters don't do programs because they can't afford the formula. Um, so I'm routing a tour um, for this spring to be able to kind of kick off some kitten programs with people. So that's the kind of stuff I'm doing at home. I mean, people picture that I'm just like snuggling kittens all day, which I wish. Oh, my God, I wish. Um, but no, I have, you know, I have a whole advocacy project that I'm running. So right now, winter is the slow season. I, I'm probably one of the only people who has kittens right now because um, it's not kitten season. They don't really, you know, kittens are not being born in the winter um, in this part of the world. But, um, you know, this is a good time that I'm sitting down and kind of planning my, my year. Um, and then tonight I have volunteer night. So I have a really awesome crew of ladies who come to my house maybe like twice a week um, to help me with. And I, it's so funny because I don't know what people think volunteering for me is. I mean, I get requests all the time. I really wish I could volunteer for you. I'm like, well, volunteering for me is really, it's not like, just like snuggling kittens, like the, the volunteer stuff that I need help with is typically the things that I can't do on my own that are administrative, like, you know, like stamping a million envelopes or, um, like tonight we're going to be packaging, uh, more booklets for me to send out to shelters. So I have like, I don't know, maybe 70 shelters or so, uh, since the last shipment that I did that have requested these booklets. And so I have like a whole big box of these booklets that, you know, my volunteers are going to come help me like label and pack and so I can bring them to the post office. So that's kind of a, a little taste of what my day to day is, is, you know, a lot of, uh, prepping things and shipping them out and planning tours. And, um, I'm doing a lot of writing as well. Um, I do writing for a couple online publications. Um, so I have, a few assignments for this month that I'm working on as well. So I don't know. I'm like a hustler. I'm like always hustling different, <laughs> different cat and kitten related activities, um, you know, to try to get information out there as wide as I can. And I'm also like, I'm a busy body. I hate doing one thing. Um, I think a lot of people want to pigeonhole me in one way or another where it's like, Oh, you're like a rescuer. I'm like, well, yeah, I am. Um, but that's not all I do. And that would drive me crazy. Like the worst, my worst nightmare 
on earth would be to be like a mom blogger of kittens and that's it. You know, sure. that sounds uh, way too inactive for me. So, you know, the part that, yeah, the part that people see that they really like is following that part of it, which kind of can feel honestly sometimes like a mom blog where it's like, all right, like here's the progress, like here's their teeth, which is awesome. That's like great educational stuff about kittens. But like the bigger part of it for me is the actual like advocacy work and getting out there. And, um, you know, I'm fortunate that a lot of the interest in my personal rescue work is what has allowed me to have kind of the independence to be able to go do the shelter work. So I mean, but I think that's when you're talking about strategy before, that's really what comes to mind, because I think something that I'm personally really interested in, and you just spoke to this so honestly and beautifully is this idea that like, I don't know, it's easy to have the fantasy of the thing, right? Of this, like, it's this, like, super sexy, I mean, I don't know if sexy is the right word, but, like, we see things on the internet, right? That it's like, oh, my God, she just snuggles kittens all day, and these kittens are so cute, and that's amazing. And, like, to think that either that's all it is or that's the only thing, when what you're talking about, I mean, going to the post office a million times a day, like, that's not sexy, right? No, it's not at all. (laughs) But, like, that it takes, I mean, this is something that comes up in a lot of conversations, this idea that, like, the only way that we get big, sexy things done is through these like very unsexy steps right and that it's like not glamorous at all and that I don't know but on the other side of it you also have to know which obviously you do your audience like people don't want pictures I mean maybe they do want pictures if you go to the post office I don't know but that it's like what's going to bring in the donations right like the fit like that what you do publicly on social media like that is the part that has the like really cute it's the cute face of all of this other work that can feel like a slog so like of course right like you have to have both You nailed it, girl. I mean, seriously, like that hits the nail on the head because it, you have to be showing people something that, that captures their interest and, and, um, you know, and that's what I'm doing, but it does, I think, make people not understand who I am necessarily, because I think a lot of people are like, well, what gives you the right to just have snuggle kittens all day. And I'm like, well, you know what gives me the right is that I literally like wake up and then go to sleep. And all I do morning to night is like really tough. Um, not the kitten care. The kitten care at this point is the easy part for me. Um, you know, the, the challenging part is, uh, balancing that with all of the advocacy work I'm doing, which sometimes goes unseen, but, um, the, the reason that I focus so heavily on the rescue work I'm doing on my social media is because that's why that platform now is a place so that if I write an article, like for instance, I recently wrote an article about, um, cat islands and I, you know, I I went to Japan in November and, uh, we visited a cat island, which I had a lot of feelings about up front. And then once we got there, I had even more, you know, kind of just insight to share, uh, with my audience. So I, um, so I made a, I wrote an article about it for a publication called Paw Culture. And, you know, that, that article got a ton of views. And the reason it got views is because people like following my kittens Yeah, and, you know, and that's great. Like I, I, you know, if that's what I have to do to get people interested in some of these bigger issues, then like, so be it. But it does lend itself to a lot of, um, yeah, misunderstanding about like who I am and what I do. And a lot of people saying, you know, like, and, and I ha- it feels kind of sad too. I actually am working on a video 
um, that teaches people about what it really is to work in animal welfare. I haven't put it out yet, but I have been collecting responses from animal welfare uh, professionals talking about what it really means to work in animal welfare. Because sometimes I get, you know, like a, I'll get like a 12 year old girl being like, you know, you're my inspiration. And I've decided that what I want to do is be a professional fosterer. And I'm like, well, that's not a thing. <laughs> like, that's not what I am. Like, I don't, I'm not like getting paid to foster kittens at all. I've been fostering kittens for a long time, not getting paid for it. And I still don't get paid for it. Like I do work. Like I get paid for, you know, like I said, I do a lot of writing. I do consulting work, um, doing merchandising stuff. Oh my God. It takes so much time. And like fulfillment is a, it's a huge task to be able to bring in, um, revenue for a project, you know? And, um, I hope that it doesn't mislead people into thinking like, oh yeah, you can just get paid to be a foster. Cause honestly, like the work that you do, this type of stuff, this is a labor of love. This is a passion project. It is not, you know, if you are wanting to save lives and make money, then that's not necessarily a realistic <laughs> outlook about it. You know, um, there's definitely ways to get involved in animal welfare and make money, but that's not, um, you know, that's not the, the right way to look at it um, starting out. Yeah, no, I mean, but and I think everything they were speaking to this idea of kind of like the fantasy or the myths and misconceptions around things, because I can see how it would be really easy for someone to just observe what you're doing through what you put out on the channels of social media and to assume like either like where does money come from right like to have that kind right. of idea of well like this is this is a job and she just gets paid to like play with baby kittens and like so I don't oh know. my god <laughs> I always really appreciate it's like not to take away from the adorableness because again like like I said your Instagram is my everything but it like it's really <laughs> nice I think to start to kind of pull back the curtain on some of these things because it makes yeah. like actual advocacy and actual stuff like more approachable because I could definitely see how someone would look at you and think I don't know, we have like a lot of stories that we tell ourselves about why we can't do something that someone else can do. Like, oh, must be nice mm. for her because like she's probably like independently wealthy and what I mean, right. whether that's true or not true is like none of anyone's business. But, you right. know, like, that there's a lot of assumptions of, well, sure, like must be nice to be able to just like help baby kittens. You know, like there's a kind of that attitude. So I think, I don't know, it's really impactful and powerful to hear you talk about like, no, no, like I make money from consulting and from writing and from other things that like it's, I don't know that it's just not as clear cut as it seems. Yeah. Yeah. I, and it's, I, I will be trying to kind of like, yeah, dispel some of those myths and explain like how animal welfare profession works, um, in a video that I'm working on, like I said right now. Um, because yeah, I think, and it's hurtful to me. I have to be honest, like people, I, it, ha it doesn't happen often, but every once in a while I'll get a comment like that where it's like, Oh, well it must be nice. And I'm like, well, yeah, I've worked my ent entire life to get to a place where I have enough independence to be able to make the impact that I want to have. And, you know, I'm not, I'm living in a kind of unsafe neighborhood, <laughs> like in the kind of too small house. Um, you know, I, and, and everything requires sacrifice. I, I, you know, I'm, I, I'm not complaining at all. Cause I'm really fortunate that I'm to the point now where I can at least like, yeah, I can make an income from, things like the writing that I'm doing, like, that's really nice. But the reason that I'm able to do that now is because I've, because 
I've done it for free for so long, you know, and, and I always tell people, you know, if you're passionate about something and you want to make a life for yourself doing something like do it anyway, and eventually you will become an expert, you know, mm-hmm. like, cause that's the only way someone becomes an expert is by doing stuff. Right. So, um, I don't know. It's so interesting. Cause like I, even in my early career, like I felt so privileged to be able to make, um, a living when I first started doing nonprofit work with kids, um, to be able to make a living, like working with young girls, which is like my other huge passion is working with young girls. I was like, you know, who am I that I get to work at a rock camp for little girls teaching like seven year olds how to play guitar and scream about feminism? Like, that's crazy. But you know why? Because I like, I worked on those things for years. Like I, you know, I went to school for psychology and women's studies and, you know, I like studied childhood development. I like volunteered for projects. Like that's how you achieve anything in life is by, you know, doing it for free for a really long time. Yeah. Um, And like, there's no, I don't know, there's no, well, you have to do it for free for this long. And that like, there's no path, right? There's no like timeline. But I think I totally, I totally agree with you that it has that things don't just happen overnight, right? Like even in a small context, like I look at this podcast that's been, what, like a year and a half-ish, something like that, that it's, I mean, it's community supported, right? Like no sponsors, stuff like that. But it just in the last season got to the point where it was making some money, you know, and I pay someone to do the audio stuff. And that means, thanks, but it means that I... (laughs) not only did it for free, but paid for it, like Adam, you know, which is of course a choice and like a privilege to have savings to decide to use that way. But again, it's like easy for people to look at that and be like, oh, like must be nice to make so much money. I'm like, well, I don't make so much money. This is like a small part-time job, right? (laughs) Yeah, But it's that there's, I I think we do tell ourselves like a lot of stories about like other people's money situations and other people's like, I don't know, just like, and then it's all just like so much messier than we think. So it's nice to just like open up about that a little bit. Um, Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's, um, oh my God, can you hear these babies crying? What do you need? What's going on? So I have this baby gate up. Um, oh my god! A baby room, gate for baby kittens. Out, <laughs> yeah, they haven't figured out how to climb over it yet, but I think today is going to be the day because they're looking at it a lot, being like they're trying to like figure it out. <laughs> I see you, Cholula. Oh my god, the spices! You. I know my husband Paul's like, tell her I said hi to the spices. I'm like, yeah, we know these cats. Like, <laughs> <so funny. laughs> Cholula is in my arms now, purring. I don't think you'll be able to hear her purr, but everybody else is sleeping in their little doll bed. They're well, so funny. If anyone wants to hear their adorable purrs, that is available on your Instagram. So that's yeah, fine. it's true. God, they purr so much, and having five of them, it's like crazy. They all climb on your lap and purr at the same time, and it's like this it, they're like a force you know they're like a force of nature <laughs> so i've researched this a little bit on the internet but why do cats purr like is there like an actual mm. consensus for that yes well so cats purr um you know for a few reasons it, it's a comfort thing um so sometimes they can purr because uh because it is a um cuz they're genuinely happy and then other times they purr as a way of self-soothing when they're not in a good situation. So I've seen sometimes people will, you know, post something of like, oh, look at this. Um, Well, the perfect example is my own cat, Eloise. When I rescued her, she was a baby kitten who was just a mess, like blind in both eyes, really, really messed up um, little kitten. And she was purring. 
the first time I had her. And everybody goes, oh, like, that's because she's happy. But it's actually a self-soothing behavior. It's like, it's kind of like if, you know, you could say to yourself, like, hey, man, I'm doing okay, right? And that's like, that's, you're, you're feeling okay. But also, if you're not feeling okay, you might sit there and say, I'm okay, I'm okay. Right. Like self-soothing. Um, so cats do that as well. So, um, it's a, it's a comfort thing. Um, I can tell you, I used to work with big cats and I don't remember what the name of the bone is, but there's a bone in the throat, um, that is, uh, different in big cats than it is in small cats. And it's what, um, it being attached or not attached to the esophagus is what makes the difference between a purr and a roar. Um, so a big cat cannot purr, because in a big cat, that bone is shaped slightly differently. And that's what gives them the ability to do like that big roar. Um, and in a small cat, uh, that bone is slightly different from in a big cat. So that's what allows them to purr. It's like a little vibrating bone in their throat. Um, but it's interesting. I used to do work with a sanctuary in North Carolina when I lived there for many years. And even um, cougars, who are pretty big, you know, like 200-pound cat. Um, they're actually classified as a small cat. And one reason for that is because of they have that bone like a small cat does. Um, so they're the largest of the small cats. So a cougar actually can purr. Um, and it's the loudest thing you've ever heard in oh your life. Oh my God, I can't imagine. <laughs> <laughs> it's really loud. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's loud in the little guys too. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because that's always because we have two cats and one of them purrs like crazy. And the other one, it's like this very selective once in a while. He'll purr like a little Mm. bit. And we're always like, why? Why? Tell us all your secrets. What's with the purring? (laughs) (laughs) That's That's funny. Yeah. I mean, cats have a lot of behaviors that, um, you know, I'm not a cat behaviorist. I recommend that people check out Jackson Galaxy if they're interested in cat behavior because he is always my go to. Um, You might know his show, My Cat from Hell. Um, he has really put like cat behavior on uh, like a national scene, teaching people about it. So he's a good friend of mine, and I, I always call him if I have questions like that because I'm like, you know, he's he's made his life's work understanding the behaviors of cats. I'm definitely much more like, you know, my expertise lies in you know how to take care of little orphans, and I. You know, I've also got a lot of experience in kind of like population dynamics around outdoor cats and, um, you know, animal sheltering and stuff like that. But cat behavior is definitely interesting. There's a lot of things cats do that we, uh, that we kind of like anthropomorphize, I think. Yeah. That is, and I even did it yesterday or today. I posted a picture where it looks like Valentina's smiling. Um, and I mentioned like her smiling and people, oh, she's smiling. She's not smiling. She was like, uh, like sneezing or something, you know, like, but people are like, oh, she's smiling. I'm like, well, cats don't smile. That's not how they express happiness, you know? Um, so funny. Yeah. Um, so of all of the, I'm assuming that you've tested lots of like random gear and things and like just purchases you've made cat things. Is there any one thing that you're like, if you have cats buy this thing, like something that's made a big difference for you? Mm. Uh, well, I can tell you that I'm sure a lot of brands would love for me to say something because I'm constantly getting asked to do promotional stuff. Um, and so I feel yucky about it because I don't like that. So I, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to, um, let me think though of something I really, really like. When it doesn't necessarily have to be brand specific, just like maybe a type of something that maybe someone wouldn't think of. I don't know. I feel like you're mm. the, you're the expert. So like cats love X or whatever. Yeah. Well, I gotta say the video that I just did 
the other day of um, five ways to comfort a kitten. A lot of those things that are in there and the five ways were um, the first one was heating pad. The second one is um, a snuggle kitty, which is like a little cat that um, it's like a stuffed cat that has a heartbeat inside of it. Yeah, I've um, never seen that thing, until I saw it through baby you. Baby blankets, yeah, and then toothbrush for brushing them and um, recycled fur coats. So those were like kind of my my five things that I do to comfort a kitten. And um, those are all like little secrets. I mean, some of them are a lot of people use others. You know, I don't think a lot of people use like the toothbrush or the recycled fur. Um, but those things have made a huge difference in like kind of the happiness and um I don't know. Yeah. The comfort of the the animals that are in my care. Oh, you know what I will say that everybody needs to get if you're fostering kittens, just, I'm just looking in the room right now. Um, everyone needs a playpen. You got to get a playpen. If you're working with kittens, people are like, well, I couldn't do it because I don't have the space. You can fit a playpen anywhere. Like you can fit a playpen in a Manhattan apartment and still foster kittens. Um, and when they're this young, like when you're caring for neonates, they don't need a ton of space. So, um, on my website, I have a link. It is kittenlady.org slash supplies. And it has like a bunch of supplies I like on there. But um, the there is a link to a playpen that I use on there. And it's cool. It's like, it's actually a puppy playpen, but it's like a mesh thing that folds up into like a portfolio sized like carrier. So you can bring it with you. Um, and then you just pop it open um, it's easy to clean. Like you can wipe it down whether, with whatever disinfectant you use between litters. Um, and it closes on top so the cats can't get out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love that. Um, right now, you know, I, the playpen I have is open on the side for the kittens so they can choose to come and go from it because they're a little bigger. Um, but that has definitely made all the difference for me in terms of just like using my space in a smarter way. Um, so yeah, I love it. Right. Yeah. Play pens, but I have had, I have had a lot of opportunity to get into like some weird cat products. Um, I know like before we started recording, we were, <laughs> you were saying, I think there's some static and I was like, no, that's my litter robot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, so, you know, I do have some, some high tech cat stuff in my house, which I love. Um, so I will shout out litter robot is awesome. Like they, they make these, um, they make what it sounds like. It's like a, it's a robot that your cat poops in and it looks like a spaceship and your cat goes into it and goes to the bathroom and then they come out and a sensor knows that they were in there. Um, and then it just, the whole thing cycles. It like spins on its side, um, and puts all the dirty stuff in the bottom and clean stuff comes back to the top and it's an awesome product. So, um, that was the sound that you heard. Was the, the future the is thing. here. The future is I know. real. Yeah, it's so it's funny. It's cool. It's really cool. My cats like it. Um, you know, so that was the static you were hearing. Oh, I was I like, know. Oh no, that's just my like crazy, <laughs> like high tech cat house. I got to say also, it's going to be really funny when Andrew comes here, my boyfriend, because he also has a litter robot. And we both have like multiple pet cubes, which are like these cameras that monitor your cats and also allow you to like play laser with them. Um, Like when you're like from your phone, if you're not at home. So I'm like, we're going to have 
the craziest house ever. It's going to have like all these robots and cameras for cats and stuff. But High tech really... cat palace. Yeah. <laughs> 2017. It, it'll I love be, it. It'll be funny. Yeah. That's um, so funny. Um, so you mentioned your partner, Andrew, moving in with you. I always yeah. love to ask the question, how people met their partners. How did you guys meet? Oh my God. It's like the cutest story ever, but it's like almost so cute that I like feel bad telling it because it's like... <laughs> That's get out your barf bag. Ever. Okay, all right. So with the disclaimer yeah. of it's so cute, we might hate you. Continue. Yeah, yes. get out get out your barf bags now. Um, so, okay. So earlier this year, um, I had a girl that was doing some volunteering for me. And she had said to me, oh, do you follow this guy? He's like a cat photographer. And I was like, no, that sounds weird. I don't know. Um, never heard of it. And she told me his name and then I didn't look him up or anything. Cause people all the time are like, do you follow this famous cat? I'm like, Nope, never heard of it. And I don't look it up, you know? So oh, I was cat photographer or whatever. I, I didn't look it up. And then like a few months went by and, um, I, I don't know how I came across his page. Somehow I came across his page and I saw his photos, which were stunning. Um, and then I saw a picture of him. Uh, which was a, a Christmas card that he had made of him and his cat. And he's wearing like a Christmas sweater. And then his cat is wearing like a Santa hat. And it's like the funniest picture ever. Um, and he's so cute. And I was like, wait a minute, who is this guy? And then I, I sent it to her and I was like, is this the guy you were telling me about? She was like, yeah. And I was like, is this my new boyfriend? Like completely joking. I just was like, you know, oh, it's my new, the way that you say that, like about people on the internet. Right. I was like, I like boyfriend goals. Um, and I, that was, you know, that was it. And then I had these two kittens, Bruno and Boop, who were, um, Bruno. And so Bruno was like two days old when he came to me and he was found in a, um, like a cruelty hoarding type situation. Um, and he was like, Oh my God, one of my favorite kittens I've ever raised. Um, and then boop was found in the trash. Uh, and they were the same age. So they came to me separately, but the same age, both like solo babies. And so I kept them separate for two weeks cause I always do a quarantine and then I was going to have them meet each other. Um, so, you know, this cute little kitten from a hoarding situation who was covered in lumps when he came to me, like he had like these cysts all over him, two days old. I mean, like fits in the palm of your hand. So sad. And then this other one from the trash um, and people had followed them, just like loving following them and they couldn't wait for them to meet each other. So I was like, well, why don't I reach out to this guy and see if he wants to take photos of them meeting? Because that's so cute, you know? So I wrote him online and I said, hey, um, I run this project. I know that you do like cat photography. Would you be interested in photographing these two orphan kittens that I'm raising, um, them meeting for the first time? And he wrote me back like instantly, which shocked me. And he was like, oh my gosh, I've been following you for months. And I was like, really? <laughs> he was like, yeah, I know all about Bruno and Boop. And I was like, that's oh, amazing. Oh <laughs> yeah. I was like, I didn't, that's crazy. Like I didn't know that he followed me. And he was like, yeah, I know all about Bruno and Boop. Like, I, that sounds so fun. I would love to photograph them. Um, and yeah, I was like, whoa, okay. Um, so we set a plan for him to come and photograph them. And um, he came here and it's really funny because he, 
you know, we made it into this big spectacle. We did like a YouTube live of them meeting for the first time. So you can actually see me and Andrew meeting for the first time on YouTube um, while these kittens are meeting each other for the first time. And it's really funny because people were asking live questions and someone even asked, does Andrew have a girlfriend? And um, so it was like very funny because in the thing, like while it was happening, I was like, oh, I wonder that too. <laughs> Let me um, ask this question. <laughs> I was like, oh, good. I don't have to ask. Somebody else can ask. I was like, Andrew, someone wants to know if you have a girlfriend. Um, <laughs> You're like, so, that someone is actually me. <laughs> yeah. And I would also like to know. Um, yeah. So, so that was how we met was introducing these two kittens to each other. And those photos... Um, they went really big. They got a lot of media because it was such a cute story. So um, there's been a ton of stories about Bruno and Boop meeting each other. And you can see those photos on my website. Um, I think it's just kittenlady.org slash playdate. Um, and that's all of the photos that he took the first time that he came to my house and met kittens. But um, God, I got to say, I mean, we went to dinner that night and um, I, don't, I don't know what I thought he he was going to be. I thought he was just like some cat fan, you know? Um, and we, I mean, cats aside, we connect on so many levels. It was like shocking to me. I mean, and he always says like when he drove home after that, he was like, uh, that's going to be my girlfriend. Like that's going to be my new girlfriend. <laughs> Cause we just like, we couldn't stop talking. We like, we hit it off on so many levels. Um, we have a lot in common outside of cats um so it was just kind of this really cool thing that like kittens and really like the internet social media are like what brought us together but that we were able like thank goodness they did because um you know he's become like my best friend um so I'm really excited for him to be here I know like the internet is all a buzz about us living together, which is, um, really sweet. Um, it's kind of nice to have like a whole community of cheerleaders who are like cheering on, um, you know, the relationship that we have. Cause it's cool. We've been able to do a lot of really great work together. Um, and that's just beginning, you know, there's like so much that we want to be able to accomplish that I think being together will only make it, um, you know, easier and better the things that we want to be able to achieve for cats. Yeah, I laughed when someone's comment on your post today announcing that you guys were moving in together. It was like something about like money you save with shared expenses means like more money for saving kitties. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's real. Well, I live in D.C. and it's expensive. Rent is so expensive. I mean, I moved to the suburbs so that I could afford to have another room because like I lived in a one bedroom apartment um, like downtown. So I moved out to the burbs so that I could get um, enough space to have a kitten room. So kind of like people move to the suburbs to like have a child. I moved to the suburbs to have lots of children. They're just all baby cats. Yeah. Um, so they have full of fur babies. Yeah. They have their own bedroom, which is, you know, maybe seems funny, but I have to have a place for all of my supplies. I mean, I have like, I have collected such a huge, I mean, I pretty much have like a small vet tech office in my kitten room um, with supplies so that my vet, um, I have a great vet, Dr. Erica Ellis, who comes over. Uh, she comes over like once a week, although she just had a baby last week. So she's taking a moment off, but she comes over and 
um, you know, works out of that room and helps make sure that everybody is healthy and, um, you know, give them vaccines and all of that kind of stuff. So I do need the space. Um, but yeah, having another person paying rent can't be a bad thing, right? Right. Yeah, no, totally. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. awesome. He'll um, have his cat with him too. Um, so he has a cat that everyone on the internet loves. His name is Haroon and he'll be moving here too. So it'll be a full house more humans more cats yeah i love it it's so good it'll be yeah. fun for those of us who like to follow your story your journey to watch what comes I next so. yeah yeah um so that's a good place to start to wrap up and the way that we end these episodes are with what we call community questions so they're questions that the real talk radio listeners kind of put forth and want me to ask all of our eight guests of a given season so this season we have nine kind of they're like rapid fiery random questions if you are oh my god down for that okay but okay. no, no pressure. Your answers do not have to be rapid. So that's fine. Okay. Um, the first one, what is your favorite thing to eat for breakfast? Avocado toast. Yes. I love avocado Always. Toast. Forever. Yes. Yep. <laughs> oh man. Now that I don't live in California anymore, I miss the like plethora of amazing avocados. Mm-hmm. The second question, what would you say is the biggest challenge or obstacle that you are facing right now? Maybe something personal, something professional, just a sticking point that's in your way. Hmm. Um, God, well, this could be a long conversation, but I'm a person who, uh, like I get, I like deal with a lot of, um, kind of like anxiety about, uh, about everything, but about like, you know, am I, am I doing the very best work that I can? And I'm a person who asks a lot of questions. So my biggest challenge right now, honestly, is like quieting my mind, I think. Mm. Um, and, and kind of uh, trying to eliminate some of the anxieties I have around having a growing project and, you know, being able to, yeah, just like be at peace with things sometimes. So, you know, I've started going back to Bikram yoga as a way to try to kind of like uh, have some, some mind quiet. Uh, but that is a challenge for me, honestly, like, cause my mind runs like a mile a minute. So yeah, that's preaching probably to the my choir. biggest. I understand. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Um, which regular habit or behavior would you say has most contributed to your happiness in recent years? Ooh, that's a good question, but I might have to think about it. Which regular habit contributes most to my happiness? Um, so this is a newer one. I've only been doing it for a few months, but I have to say it has like literally changed my life. It sounds so cheesy, but um, if, if anybody who's listening is looking for ways to improve their life, try, give this a try. Cause it's awesome. Um, a few months ago I started keeping a gratitude journal and it's next to my bed. Um, and it is just every single day I write one thing at the end of the day that I was grateful for that day. And, you know, I, th- I think gratitude is like the most important component of any well-lived life because like you have to um, you know, not just have a good life, but be grateful for any of the good things you have, even on days when like, especially on days when it feels like things are not going well for you. A lot of the like anxiety I was saying I deal with, you know, it actually is soothed by finding something to be grateful for. And it could be something, um, it could be something huge or it could be something very small. Like Mm -hmm. I'm grateful that the grocery store had ripe avocados or whatever, you know, um, or it could be something big. Like I'm grateful for like something that a friend, um, said to me or, or a gift that I like received or, you know, whatever it is. So every day I write 
one thing that I'm grateful for. And that has, it has changed my framework for how I look at everything day to day, because rather than, you know, being looking for the things that are going wrong, I'm looking for something to write later that night, yeah. <laughs> you know? So all day I'm looking for like, what, what am I grateful about right now? Hey man, like I'm grateful that this conversation was like way more fun than I could have anticipated. And so I can not only like be grateful for that, but I'm thinking about how I'm grateful for that because I know later tonight I'm going to need to write something in my gratitude journal. Totally. (laughs) Yeah. It's cool. It's a good habit to get into. It reminds me a book that I love, love, love um, that I've mentioned a million times on the podcast, but it's called a complaint free world. And it's basically all about like breaking the habit of complaining, like among other things. And it talks about similar to what you were just saying that like the benefit is comes from the perspective switch of you have to find other ways to like bond with people over the water cooler or whatever. Like you're looking for something that's not a complaint to say or like a positive thing. Just that act of like switching your mentality of what you're searching for, right? You're not looking for things to be upset about. You need something to write to be grateful for at the end of the day. So you're like subconsciously looking for it more throughout the day, which yeah, no, I love that. Exactly. Um, It's really, it's really changed things for me. So continuing on with the topic of habits, what's one daily or regular habit that you would love to develop? Something that you'd love to add to your life this year? Mm, there's a lot, actually. I mean, I like I said, uh, being able to detach from from media is one, one thing. But um, definitely another thing for me just in the whole realm of finding balance is um, like getting back to more um, scheduled physical activities. Cause I, I'm a person who likes, you know, I love running and I love, um, rock climbing and I love yoga, but the, over the last year I've really lost, um, kind of like the habits that I had with that, like in the past year, just because, um, my project blew up in a way that demanded my attention and that I kind of, I don't know, I sort of like sacrificed some of the things that I didn't realize, were so essential to my well-being and until so, you're not doing you know, them yeah until you're not doing them right so um you know one thing i'm doing at the very beginning of this year i bought um and it's so hard to justify spending money on like a yoga package because like i said it's like you know when you're doing your own project and it's a passion project and you don't have a lot of money it's like oh god like spending money on a bikram package sucked but um, I see it as essential to my well-being, and my well-being is essential to my project. So, um, yeah. So, one habit that I want to get back into this year is, um, you know, getting myself on a on a schedule where I'm at least twice a week going to, um, you know, to something, whether it's yoga or to the rock climbing gym. Yeah. No, I love it. Um, so question five, tell us, um, I don't want to say necessarily the best, but a good piece of advice that you have received something maybe that was someone said to you or someone modeled for you that you still think of. Yeah. I actually talk about this one a lot, um, because I'm so grateful to my grandmother who taught me, um, about how to deal with conflict when I was very young. And I was talking about this recently because one of the things that drives me the most crazy, um, in terms of just like interpersonal communication is passive aggressiveness. I hate it. I hate it because I'm a very, um, I don't know, like it's, 
I, I think I can come across as like a very loud spoken person, but, but to me, I'm, I just feel like I'm a very communicative person and I try to be a very upfront person. So even, I also grew up in New York where like in New York, if you don't like somebody, you just say like, Hey, I don't like you, you know? And <laughs> that's very upfront, um, versus like passive aggressiveness. And I, I, I just, I'm so grateful to my grandmother who gave me advice when I was very young that I still use, which is, um, about how to deal with people who are being uh, rude to you or passive aggressive to you, um, which is to basically like take the high road. Um, but I've had to use it quite a, not quite a bit, but I've had to use it a little bit lately where like people are just being, um, you know, if someone's being rude to you, basically her advice was if someone says like, hey, screw you, you don't say, hey, no, screw you. You say, wow, that was a really hurtful thing to say. You just kind of um, shock the person by just saying like, wow, like uh, I was really hurt by what you just said. Um, And it kind of like for me has uh, broken down like conflicts so that they can't, uh, you know, I'm not a person who's interested in having like a a conflict with someone. So um, I don't know. Her advice just like was very impactful for me because it has helped me be able to say like, Hey, I'm not going to like, I take the high road. I'm not going to like get down in the weeds with you. Uh, if somebody's like having a bad day and wants to take that out on me, I'm definitely a person who says like, Hey, it seems like you're having a bad day. What's right, going like on? Naming something for what it is, right? Like not engaging exactly. on like, you know, not getting into some kind of dramatic whatever, but also not just sweeping it under the rug being like, Oh, yeah, just say, this is hurtful. Like, it seems yeah. like you're having a bad day. What you just said was hurtful. Um, what's going on? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, and I, I think it, it surprises people. It's like a very, it can be a jarring thing to people, but it doesn't. Uh, it it I don't know. That has saved me in my in my friendships, in my like working relationships. When there's something where you know you come to a conflict, like just to be able to say like, hey, like like I'm not gonna get in a in a, right, I'm not going to do this with you. Yeah. Yeah. We're not going to do <laughs> totally. that, but like, let's talk about what's really going on. I don't know. Cause I, I, I think interpersonal communication is, is a challenge, um, for anybody. And we all like live in a world of opinions and, um, I don't know. I'm just grateful to my grandma for, for like really teaching me some habits from a young age about like disengaging from, uh, heated conflict and, and, getting things to like a reasonable place of discussion. Yeah. It's great advice. Um, the next question, what's something that you really love about yourself? Ah, that's a nice question too. We used to do that at girls rock. We would have it. Um, you'd sit in a circle and you would say one thing that you like about yourself physically. And one thing you like about yourself, um, like you could be your personality or, you know, something that you do. And then you would also look to the person next to you and say the same thing about them as a way to be like, you know, it's okay to build yourself up and to build other people up. I love that. Um, so I had to, I know it was so cool. And the best part of it was you had to say thank you when someone complimented you. <laughs> um, so getting comfortable, like accepting compliments. So I did have practice, like having to be able to say nice things about myself, which I think can be hard for people to do. So let me think of a nice thing I can say about myself. Um, what do I like about myself? I, I like 
that I am a really flexible person. Um, not physically. <laughs> I just started going back to yoga yesterday, but, um, but, uh, I like that, that I have been able to weather a lot of different changes in my life and kind of like respond with flexibility. I think that that is, um, like a good quality about me that has, has helped me a lot that I hope I can maintain. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that's like flexibility that speaks to resilience also, which is something that I am always yeah. trying to develop. So yeah, definitely. Yeah, exactly. I mean, then that, that's it too. I think, you know, I, I don't know, like I've been through a lot in my life and I've been able to be resilient always, even though like in the thick of things, sometimes it, it you know, anybody feel, you feel like you can't, um, I don't know. One of the cool things about getting older is that, that I have all of this data now to look back on about myself and all of this. Um, Andrew calls it evidence. He's like, just look at the evidence. Like, he's like, look at the evidence. You've always bounced back. Like, you've always improved and done better. You know, he's like, there's all this evidence, you know, and I, I like looking at it like that. So the older I get, the more evidence I have that, like, you know, I'm going to be okay because I'm like a flexible and resilient person. Yeah, no, that's a great perspective. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so a couple more questions. The next one, how do you pull yourself out of like a thunk or a rut? What works to get you re-engaged in your work and your goals when you're just feeling like really blah or really defeated? Mm. Um, yeah. I mean, so I'm a very social person. So talking to friends is, is, essential for me, but also not just talking to friends about what I'm going through, but talking to friends about what they're going through to kind of like, um, one big thing for me is like, because I, I work from home, I work on my own passion project. I can get very narrowly focused on what I'm doing and lose sight of the fact that there's like billions of other things going on. Right. Like I have like friends who are doing incredible work. I'm surrounded by, uh, you know, like I'm like close to beautiful nature where there's things going on that has nothing to do with my life. So kind of like stepping away from myself, engaging socially with other people's like work and interests and uh, what they're doing, get, getting out into the woods and uh, like remembering that the world is way bigger than I am. Yes. Um, that all helps me a lot so that I can have some perspective and come back to what I'm doing with like a little bit of, uh, you know, like, not like that I'm nothing or that I'm small, but like knowing where my place is in the world and being able to say like, yeah, this is my spot. This is what I'm doing. But like, there's so much other stuff out there. Um, and that like, you know, at the end of the day, I don't know, we're all like fallible creatures trying to do the best we can. And, uh, you know, like that, it, it, that it's okay, you know? Um, cause I, the, totally. the thing that's, one thing that is unwavering for me is the subject matter of my passion. I mean, I, I feel so passionately about the work that I do, but yeah, it's true. Sometimes I do have to like step away from it to get some perspective, um, so that I can come back and like really know what it is that I'm trying to achieve. Yeah, no, yeah. absolutely. I mean, I think all of that is beautiful. Um, the next question is about books which I'm a super obsessive reader. So I always love hearing mm. if there's a book or maybe two books of any genre that have had a really big impact on you. Yeah. Um, I just started a new book club with my friends, um, that we haven't even met yet, but we're meeting 
in a couple days for the first time. Um, so I really need to start reading this book. I just got, I actually started reading it um, last night. Um, the book is called, it's, so we're doing a book club that is all kind of like um, around issues around like race and gender and trying to uh, understand our social impact yeah. given the kind of climate that we're about to go into being in Washington, D.C. Oh with the God, inauguration yeah. coming up. Um, so we're reading, the first book we're reading is a book called White Rage by Carol Anderson. Um, and I'm really excited to to start reading that. But in terms of books that have had a big impact on me, um, let's see. I mean, so the book Ishmael is probably like one of the first books that I tell people to read um, by Daniel Quinn, uh, just in terms of like something that had a big impact on me from a young age. Um, it's just a beautiful book and um, something that I think like puts, puts humanity and our relationships with like animals and the natural world into perspective in a way that I, that I really like. Um, so that would be one book that I would recommend. Um, I'm going to have to read that. I have not read that one, but that is getting added to my list. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, what are, what's another, like, I don't know. I'm a huge bell hooks fan. So like anything that she writes, I read a lot of like feminist literature. So I love bell hooks. Um, you know, you kind of can't go wrong with any of her books. Yeah, I agree. Um, <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, I'm trying to think any other, like, things that I would recommend. I think that's like the main things that I would recommend to somebody right up front would be anything by Bell Hooks and definitely like looking into Ishmael is such a, it's just such a classic to me. So the last question, if you could leave our community, the listeners with one call to action right now, maybe a question to ask themselves or a small action to take in the next week, what would it be? What should people do? Hmm. Oh gosh. Um, well, I'm trying to think if I should say something kitten related or just like individual related. Um, I mean, I'll say both. So let's go with both. Totally. Yeah. So, I mean, in terms of kittens, uh, I would say if people are listening to this, who are interested in the work that I do, who are not sure how they can make an impact, um, I would say, you know, start to, uh, think about the ways that you can make an impact in 2017. There are so many things that people can do. Um, if they go to my website at kittenlady.org slash getting started, I teach people all about how they can start fostering. Um, and to just like start to take the steps to just try something, even if it feels uncomfortable, um, you know, just trying to help, um, you, you will, be surprised by how much you can achieve. Um, so, you know, I would say that, yeah, the first thing is if people are interested in the work that I do, like take the next step and try to do something yourself in 2017, even if it's, um, just volunteering for your local shelter or helping with transport or donating to your local shelter. Uh, but certainly signing up as a foster parent for your local shelter is the biggest thing people can do to help save lives. Um, and then, uh, a piece of advice just like for individual well-being. I, I think that people do so much better when they can have, um, a reason to feel proud of themselves. So just like with the gratitude journal thing, um, I, 
think that it is a huge thing to be able to give yourself a compliment and say like, I'm proud of something. So, um, a piece of advice that I would, that I would give people, um, is to put some words to things that you are proud of, some accomplishments you are proud of and like write them down and remind yourself that you're a badass because we lose sight of that all <laughs> yes, the time. Totally. I so, love it. Like, yeah. So I mean, putting words to things, I'm a big fan of like, you know, just like narrative process and I will write things in lipstick on my mirror to remind myself that I'm a badass. I have a big print um, in my bathroom that says you are smart and pretty. Um, (laughs) I love, I like love stuff like that. So, you know, anything people can do to, to give themselves some reminders, uh, you know, write it on your mirror, right? Like I'm a badass. Like here's a thing I did that I'm proud of, you know? Um, I don't know we could all use a little bit more like self empowerment. Amen. So what's the best place for people to find you and say hi online? If you maybe you have a favorite way to connect a favorite social media platform. Yeah. So my biggest platform is definitely Instagram. Um, I have a pretty big audience on there and that is at kitten X lady. Um, and same username on Twitter and Facebook. You just look up facebook.com slash kitten X lady. Um, and then my YouTube is, is a channel that is growing right now that I'm putting a lot of effort into developing because that's where all of my instructional stuff happens. Um, so, and a lot of, yeah, like the crazy cat lady video that you were referencing, like that's on my YouTube. Um, so my YouTube is just youtube.com slash kitten lady. And then of course my website is kind of the hub of everything that I do. So that's where you can find my shop. That's where you can contribute to the project if you're interested. Um, and you know, you can find a lot of really cute kitten photos. That is that true. Is yes. Kittenlady.org. <laughs> so I'll put point. links to all of this in the show notes. You guys, if you're not following her on Instagram, you're doing everything wrong on Instagram. So that's my personal <laughs> advice, but Hannah, thank you so much. This was delightful. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. And that's our show for today. Thanks so much for listening and for being part of the Real Talk Radio family. I couldn't do this without you. And as I said way back at the top of the episode, this is now a 100% listener-supported show. The show is made possible by people like Jess. Hi, Jess. Hello. So we're going to play Would You Rather. Are you ready? I'm afraid, but yes. Okay. Would you rather never be able to use toilet paper again or only be able to use toilet paper that's made from sandpaper? I feel like sandpaper would be would defeat the entire purpose. And, uh, yeah, no, no toilet paper. I'll find other ways to make that happen. Right. And the, my question is, like, can you substitute it with other things? Like, can I right. get a bidet? I just, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> if I don't need paper, I mean, there are other means. Because the sandpaper sounds really painful. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's um, such a chafed butthole. I know. <laughs> And scene. Um, <laughs> would you rather lose $1,000 or lose all of your social media followers? Social media followers, just because I really don't care. But, you know, 1000 bucks is a plane ticket to someplace great. So, yeah, I don't know what I would pick. I mean, I feel like 
I want to say that I wouldn't care about losing the social media followers. Like, it's not an ego thing. It's not a number thing. I would just get them back. I mean, there's no question of you losing them forever. So you could just get a whole new group of followers. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I just feel like, I don't know, the people that I've chosen to follow, if all of a sudden I couldn't follow them anymore, I would be sad. Oh, so it goes both ways. I thought you meant people following me. Oh, no, I do mean that. I'm just trying to flip flip it the other way. Yeah, if I had to flip it the other way, that would definitely make the question harder right because I've had yeah that's true that's actually a better question because you've I feel like I've cultivated like these are the people who I want to pay attention to and if all of a sudden I had to do that again from scratch yeah no definitely would rather lose the money because that's worth way more than a thousand dollars but people following me like I'll bring you back it's funny okay so the last one (laughs) would you rather have tv on at all times or never be able to watch tv again Oh, God, that's such a tough one because we cut the cable like eight years ago and we rarely watch TV, but to never be able to watch it ever again, like ever, does that include, so like define television, is that regular cable TV or is that all forms of entertainment that go on the TV? I mean, I'm all about the loophole. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like it's like. Netflix, Hulu, like it's all those things. It's basically, but I mean, having it on 24-7. I would go without it. Yeah. Yeah. It would would make me crazy. I could never never sleep again. No, no way. Yeah. I could live without it. I'll find other things to do. Yeah. Agreed. We'll read more books. Okay. Um, So why don't you introduce yourself to the rest of the listeners real quick. Tell everyone where you live and one thing you are totally obsessed with right now. Okay, uh, my name is Jessica Ishikawa and I, uh, I live in Tustin, California, which is in Orange County. And one thing that I am super obsessed with right now, um, oh my gosh, I don't even know. I'm going to have to think about this. <laughs> well, uh, I guess right now, uh, lettering, like all kinds of hand lettering. That's what I'm totally obsessed with. Like looking at people who do hand lettering, I'm starting a business around it. And so it's like I obsessively read like penmanship on um, that's a subreddit. And um, I follow people like Emily McDowell and just amazing people. So, yeah, hand lettering is the one of the many obsessions I have. That's funny. The only subject that I ever remember failing or doing terrible at when I was in third grade, we had to do like a cursive writing penmanship with like certain kind of fountain pen class. And I don't know, I'm left-handed and the way that I write, like I couldn't, it was too wet and it was smeared everywhere. And I basically like couldn't pass this section of the class. You needed an, an oblique What's um, that? calligraphy pen it's for left-handers See? they make a special pen for left-handers well when i was in third grade no one gave me that and it was and very what traumatizing third grade teaches like calligraphy with ink and calligraphy pens yeah i don't know i don't know was it's, not, it's, it's a sore spot for me <laughs> well i'm sorry <laughs> so you are a member of our patreon support squad which means that you're one of the people that listeners can thank for making this podcast possible since you've made a small but powerful pledge that helps to fund the costs of producing the show each season and i would love for you to share why you decided to support the show and what you love most about um being in the community Well, um, I am a big firm believer in putting my money where I have my most belief, especially in this day and age. So um, uh, that's definitely something that is a principle of mine. And then I absolutely love supporting my friends and their endeavors. So, you know, we've been friends for like 
we figured out nine years now um, through all the shenanigans and um, life changes. So um, I was just, as soon as I realized you had a podcast, I think I figured it out your second season. And um, I just became obsessed with everything that you were talking about. And it was totally in line with what I was trying to do. So in terms of the community, it's just, it's an amazing breadth of people that you've introduced me to that have just formed how I'm living my life legitimately. So it's just, it's been so powerful. Like, how can I not support it financially? Oh, well, thanks. It's funny. Some, yeah, some of the interviews too, I I feel like <laughs> they're like therapy sessions for me, right? This is like my totally, totally. selfish, like the, there have been definitely a couple of guests and like either suggestions or perspectives or things that they've said that and sometimes it's just like one sentence, right? Or one perspective or like what is an offhand comment from someone, right? Like mm-hmm. it's probably just something they don't think about. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh shit, that like changed my life. Like they don't realize oh, that people that come on the show that I'm just like, thank you for helping me live a better life. So I'm glad you feel that way too. <laughs> I know. I'm like constantly texting you and I'm like this one right here. And you're just like, oh my God, I know. It's like, so. don't I know. I'm like the biggest fangirl. Everyone else that's a fangirl of any of my guests can get in line because I'm the biggest fangirl. Yeah. It's been um, great. I love it. So to everyone listening, if you love the podcast, if you want to help keep it going, if you want over 30 hours of bonus content with new stuff added every month, just go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette to make your pledge of $8 or more for each eight episode season. I can't tell you how much your support means to me, and I can't wait to get to know you better behind the scenes in our community. So until next time, here's a big virtual hug and a reminder that we're all just doing the best we can, and no matter what, we're in this together. 